0: You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other in Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. Hope you're doing well. Sorry to be interrupting your conversations, but... Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church and so glad that you're joining us. Hope you feel encouraged and helped in your walk with Christ or exploration of who he is today. Um, we're going to bring our series that we've been in the last six weeks to a close. The series has been uh, What Makes You Happy. We're wrapping that up today. But uh, we've been in this series because, uh, we, as we all would, I think, readily admit, we all want to be happy. Right, We all want to be happy. So we're talking about what makes you happy. Because here's the thing. Though we want to be happy, not many of us are as happy as we want to be. In fact, in the very first week in the series I shared that the latest Harris poll came out at the beginning of July. It showed that in America, only 33% of Americans are happy. Only 33%. And that probably wouldn't surprise you because if you, you know, you personally, you, you, you know, evaluate and the people you know, most people are not as happy as they really want to be. And so we're saying, okay, well, how, how can you be happy? Perhaps what we're looking to and where we're looking for happiness is in the right places. So in this series, just a brief recap here, but a big idea is that happiness is really found. Not in a what, but a who. That because we were created for relationships, we are, we are created to find happiness in others. And most importantly, and kind of all begins with him. No surprise here because we're in church, but it begins with God, right? Because God is the source of happiness for he is e- the eternally happy God. He's always been happy. He's happy now. He always will be happy. And therefore, all happiness is sourced in him and springs from him. And so we talked in this series that one of the things that, bring, that causes us to be happy is when we realize, in fact, neuro, neurological research shows that when you are with someone that you really love, you really value, when you realize that they want to be with you, that makes you happy actually it's like your brain research shows MRI's show that makes you happy well when you realize that the god of the universe the eternally happy awesome incredible god wants to be with you And what he went through to make it possible to be with you, that Jesus came and pursued you and died for you and rose again to make way for you to be reconciled to him, to be with him. When you realize that's how God feels about you, that God of the universe wants to be with you, man, it helps you become happy. That completely impacts your view and outlook on life. It leads to a deep undercurrent of happiness. So in this series, we said that's where happiness begins. It springs from Him and knowing that He wants to be with you and that you can be with Him. But we also said that happiness follows whenever we look to God, our happy God, who can be trusted because He's good, and we we live life according to how He says to live life. And so there's these baked-in rhythms to life, as Justin talked about. That if you follow His instruction, it leads to greater happiness. And even when some of his instructions seem very counterintuitive, like we talked about last week, if you're with us. And today we're going to look at, as we close the series, we're going to look at one more counterintuitive instruction from God that if we will follow, it will help us be happier. However, let me just say, just like I did last week, this doesn't make sense on the surface what I'm about to say, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't compute. It just doesn't make sense why this would be true. And, and unless, really, unless you've experienced this, you'll probably have a hard time believing it this morning. But I wanna, here's what I want to ask. Stay with me, all okay? right? Don't, don't write me off. And don't, don't just attribute it to, like, the idea that I have an agenda. Because you're going to see quickly that it might feel like I have an agenda. But I, I don't. But, um. You just need to stay with me. So can you do that? Can you stay with me for a little while? Just give me a few, give me half hour to make my point and then you can decide if you're going to write it off. Are you laughing because I said half hour? Because what I meant was probably 40 minutes. But um, <laughs> so <laughs> here's the first part. First counterintuitive point that I'm going to make this morning is this. As long as you are all about you, you will not be happy. As long as you are all about you, you will not be happy. As long as you are all about trying to acquire stuff for you or consume stuff or use people or manipulate people or demanding things from other people to do stuff for you, as long as you are all about you and getting others to do for you and using things to make you happy, doesn't make sense, but the truth is you will not be be happy. Not only will you not be happy, but I'll go so far as to say you can't be happy because you are not enough to fulfill you. You are not enough to make you happy. Now that you know that sounds very churchy, right? And it sounds like yeah, okay, you might expect to hear that, but that also can you say like that? That sounds weird, right? don't you think that if you are all about trying to make you happy and you're the you're the person you would think that's most vested in that pursuit because no one else is going to be as as vested in making you happy as you and so you got to look out for what number one and so wouldn't it make sense that the way you're going to be happy is by looking out for you you got to look out for you you if you do you'll be happy but (laughs) it's not true you cannot acquire consume manipulate or demand Use your way into your own happiness. You can't make you happy. Now, that's the first part of the statement that's kind of counterintuitive. Here, (laughs) let me give you the second part. Again, don't write me off because it's going to feel like I have an agenda. But but here's the second part. Even though you cannot acquire consume or demand your way into happiness, you can serve and volunteer your way into greater happiness. You can serve and volunteer your way into greater happiness. Now, (laughs) I know you're like sitting on a living for others menu in your chair. And so it's like, of course you're going to say that, right? That you want me to fill this thing out. And I know, but here's the thing. I'm not saying this because I want you to fill this out. That's not the point of this message. I will say, and I'll give this, it's a great application, from what we're going to talk about this morning, but it's not the reason why I'm talking about this. The reason why I'm talking about this is because this is true. That though you are not enough to fulfill you, living for yourself will not make you happy. When you live for others, when you can volunteer and serve your way into happiness, that is a true statement. Now, again, I know... It can be hard to believe. So let me, just like I did last week, give you some scientific research that backs this up. Because if you were to go on your computer, which I I ask that you you not pull out your phones and do this right now. But if you were to go home, get on your computer, Google to see if there's a connection between happiness and even hear this, and health and volunteering or happiness and health and living selflessly you would find that there is scientific research study after scientific research study that all confirm that there absolutely is a connection. And it's not just a slight connection. It's a strong connection between volunteering or living selflessly and your happiness and even your health. Let me just give you a couple examples, right? I'm not going to give you as many as I gave last week when I was doing this, but let me give you a few. One from an article from uh, Psychology Today, uh, entitled uh, Achieving Happiness by Serving Others, the article says this, Research shows when we help others, we feel happy. There appears to be a direct correlation with overall well-being and giving our time, money, or other resources to a cause that we are passionate about. (laughs) Studies reveal that people who volunteer, okay, people who volunteer, hear this, people who volunteer report better health and more happiness than people who do not volunteer. According to a study in Social Science and Medicine, a person who volunteers more than monthly, but less than weekly, is 12% more likely to report being very happy. Now hear this, but a person who volunteers weekly is 16% more likely to report being very happy. Article goes on to make this statement. Volunteering weekly impacts your happiness to the same degree that moving from an income of less than $20,000 to an income between seventy-five dollars and $100,000. So if you didn't get that promotion, friends, you didn't get that pay raise, it's okay. Just sign up to serve. You'll be just as happy. That's, that's what this study is saying. I didn't make that up. That's what this is saying. Okay, now let me give you another one. Forbes Magazine, their article, Volunteering a Formula for help and Happiness, cites a, a different study but affirms the exact same results. Here's what that article says. It says, in, in a paper published by Harvard Health, authors notice, uh, noted that volunteers benefit from something they call the happiness effect. It turns out that weekly volunteering leads to happiness levels comparable to a life-changing salary boost. Okay, one more, and this one I think is the most fascinating. It's from a New York Times article entitled, How to Be Happy. In that article, it cites a study by uh, the University of Exeter in in which they found that volunteering is essentially a prescription for happiness that can, can, hear this, that can Prolong your life and make your years on earth better in many ways. after reviewing forty studies on volunteerism, they took pl- that took place over a twenty year span. so hear this this research is is gigantic they 're looking at forty different independent studies taking place over twenty years, and this is the conclusion from all of that. this is what They found, researchers found that volunteering was associated with less depression, less heart disease, greater psychological well-being, a higher self-esteem, improved physical health, living longer, and a better quality of life. So I'm not making this up. And it might sound counterintuitive. But here's the thing, friends. If what we're doing to try to make us happy is not resulting in our happiness, then perhaps the common sense way to try to get happy is not actually correct. And maybe we should try some of this more counterintuitive stuff. So instead of living for yourself in order to be happy, why don't you try volunteering? Why don't you try living for others in order to be happy? These studies say if you want to be happy, if you want to be happier, You have to find a way to give your life away. You have to find a way to serve others, to live selflessly. Now, (laughs) the big question, I I don't know about y'all, but to me, when I'm researching that, like to me, the big question is, okay, why is that the case? Right? And so it's like, well, that, it just doesn't really make sense. Well, why would it be the case that in order to be happy, I need to give myself away? You would think that it would be the opposite. So why, why would that be the case? In fact, many of y'all who've experienced this, you might ask, like, why is it that when, when I pour myself out, there, I just have, I have this feeling of feeling so full at times? How can I empty myself and yet still at times just feel so full? And you serve on a weekly basis, something that you're passionate about, you go home and you're exhausted. I mean, I'm just exhausted after Sunday mornings. So we do set up and then preach and then do tear down. And by the time I get home, I am so tired. And yet I feel so content. How is that? Well, <laughs> two words to sum it up. It's because that's our divine design. Divine design. Our divine design is is the thing that would explain why you can pour yourself out and feel very tired and yet feel a depth of contentment, this undercurrent of happiness because you're living for more than yourself. Divine design is the reason why when you don't live for yourself but live for others, you grow in your happiness. Divine design is the reason why these studies reveal what they reveal divine design. And when I say divine design, let let me explain what I'm getting at. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, you'll see that we're given a picture into what God had in mind when he created mankind. Let me just read it for you. Genesis 1, 26, 27, we're told this. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I just want to draw two simple observations. This is chalked full of all kinds of stuff, but just two simple observations from, here, from this. First, God created mankind in his image. And the second thing is that we see when he created us in his image, he did it, you know, so that, so that we may rule. Now, here's the thing, and I want to make sure that we're thinking biblically about this. Because when we hear the word rule, most often we attach that to the idea of having power in order for others to do for us. That we attach ruling to saying, okay, now I can acquire and consume and use other things to make me happy because I'm in charge. And we associate power with lording it over and them serving you. That's what you usually think of. And that's certainly and many times how ruling is done in our world today. But as we have to be careful not to assume our idea of ruling into this passage, but allow this passage to give us insight into what is meant by ruling. And here's... What is meant by ruling, it's completely attached to the idea of being made in the image of God. And that we have to let that truth, that we're made in the image of God, inform how we would rule. So, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? That's a big question. Let me just simply try to, to sum it up with this statement. To be made in the image of God means that we are made to reflect or to represent or to represent what he is like. To be made in the image of God means that we were made to reflect or represent what he is like. That was the purpose of God's creation for us. That's what we were created to do, designed to do. Now that begs another big question, which is, okay, well then what is God like? And I'm going to spare trying to unpack you for me trying to unpack that giant question because we would be here for all eternity. Because we will be diving into that for all eternity. No joke. And so I'm not going to try to get into that other than to say that in this passage, we get a hint. This passage, Genesis 1.27, points us to one aspect of what God is like that I want to draw out this morning. And that's this. It's that God is triune that he's a trinity that there's one god and there's but three persons father son and spirit now here's the hint right and the rest of scripture kind of reveals this to greater detail but here's where we get the hint here right when he says let us okay huh what's us in our image in our likeness so it's okay well what what okay that's plural what's going on there and then down here it says, "So he created mankind in His own image." Singular. Like, this. okay, well, was it? Is it? Which one is it? Is it our image or is it His image? Well, it's, it's both. One God, three persons: Father, Son, and Spirit. Now I know that the Christian teaching of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, is um, it, it's uh, challenging and. Uh, Headache-inducing, right? It's mysterious. But I'm not going to try to explain how this can be. I I wouldn't do a good job how this could be. But I do want to try to just uh, point us to what what this would what this means and and kind of the essence of what to what God being Trinity. Uh, And so let me give you a definition, right? Trinitarianism holds that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who eternally know, love, and glorify each other. That God is no more three than he is one and no more one than he is three. And that within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, all equally God, eternally love, know, love, and glorify each other. For example, you know, we get some insight into this reality through Jesus' prayer, which is recorded in John chapter 17, verses 4 and 5. And so Jesus, the night before he's going to the cross, is praying to the Father. And here's what he says. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Interesting, right? Like I'm here, Jesus, I'm here, Father, to glorify you. And I've completed that now. I ask that you glorify me just like before, because I've always existed. In your presence, we always glorified one another. Theologian Cornelius Plantiga, when commenting on this, says, the persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, and defer to one another. Each divine person harbors the other at the center of his being. In constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the others. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for the others. Now, I don't know if you're still trying to, like, wrap your mind around around that, but let me give you another example of what this looks like in action. In Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, right before Jesus was to start his public ministry, he was baptized. And this description of what occurred at his baptism provides us with a picture of how God relates within himself. It gives us this kind of just snapshot of it. So here's what the passage says, Mark 1, 9 through 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. When the... In this description, when it says you get heaven torn torn apart, there's this this sense of like torn open where we get to to just get this glimpse into the reality of how the Godhead, how God functions within himself. And here's, here's the picture. I love how Tim Keller explains it in his book, The King's Cross. Let me just quote him. He says it this way. He says, when Jesus comes out of the water, the Father envelops him and covers him with words of love. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Meanwhile, the Spirit covers him with power. And from this point on, Jesus begins his public ministry in the power of the Spirit with him. Keller goes on to say, This is what has been happening in the interior life of the Trinity from all eternity. Mark is giving us a glimpse into the very heart of reality. The self giving love within God, where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each centering on the others, adoring and serving the others. And because the Father, Son, and Spirit are giving glorifying love to one another, God is infinitely, profoundly happy. I love that. I think it's a great description of how God functions within. Himself, Self-giving love for the others, glorifying the others, centering on the others. Now, let me try to connect some dots. If that's how God relates within himself, and this triune God is the one who created us in his image, that our divine design would say that we were created to live the same way with this self-giving love for the others, that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves, that we would love others, that we would put others first, that we would live for others. And when we live according to our divine design, there is happiness found there. You are happier living as you were designed to live, imaging, representing, what God is like. And this is what God is like. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we come to his word, what God we see God calling us to do is to put others first. I mean, if we go to Philippians chapter 2, for example, in that passage we're told this, in, humil- in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Like, here's this. Put others first. Serve others. Value others above yourself. Have the mindset in your relationships with one another because that is what Jesus, our God, is like. This is the mindset of Jesus, putting others first. This is what we were just talking about. This is how God functions within himself. And as a result, we're called, hey, have the same mindset. This is what you were designed to do. Put others first. Consider others' interests ahead of your own. So why does living selflessly make you happier? Why do you feel more full when you're giving yourself away? It's because this is how God created us to live. It's our divine design. You are created by your creator God to put others first. You were designed by the designer of life not to live for yourself but to live for others, which is why it should not shock us, friends, when modern-day scientific research finds that when you serve others, you literally become, literally become happier and healthier. But here's the thing. It's hard to do that, (laughs) right? It's hard to put others first. You know, it, it feels like it just, you know, say, okay, this is our divine design, but it seems like it goes against some kind of part of our nature because it's like it's much easier to live selfishly, right? I mean, we, you don't have to learn how to live selfishly. Can I get an amen? Parents, right? <laughs> Parents, you can say, yes, I didn't teach my kids to do that. They just seem to get that on their own. It, it, it's so true. But, so, but here's the thing. The selfishness comes easy, But selfishness was not a part of our divine design. Which is why when you live for yourself, you undermine your own happiness. For selfishness is a sin. And what does sin do? Sin separates. Sin always separates. Sin separates us from God and it separates us from one another. Sin separates us into our own self centered worlds. Sin whispers into our ears spend all your time, spend all your energy, spend all your resources on you, and you will feel happy. You will be filled up. But, guys, friends, that is a lie. That is a lie. Research says it's a lie. God's word, more importantly, says it's a lie. And look, I I know, like I'm willing to bet that your own observations would say that's a lie. Like if you were just to think about some of the happiest people that you know, I'm willing to bet that they are also some of the most selfless people you know. Giving on themselves, giving on their time, generous. I mean, I could, if I had the time, share story after story after story of people like that. That their circumstances might be really bad. Like I think my, my grandmother, Linda, who's in her second bout of breast cancer right now, and it's, and it's oh, so hard. And yet she's the most generous person, one of the most generous people I know. And she is a joy to be around in the midst of this, just living for others, living for others, living for others. It's like, Linda, like, let's take care of you. And she's just, she just wants joy to be around. These are the people, right? Happiest people you know, some of the selfless most selfless people you know. Guys, it's a lie to spend all your time and energy, resources on yourself in order to be happy. It's not how it happens. Observation tells us, experience tells us, research tells us, God's word tells us you're far happier living for others instead of living for yourself because that is how God designed you to live. If you want to be happy, You've got to find a way to give yourself away. Now, in case you're still unconvinced, let me give you one more bit of, of, of evidence here by just asking you one more question. Here's a question. How do we measure the value of a life? How do we measure the value of a life? I mean, if you're at a funeral and they stand up and start talking about the deceased, what are the things that get talked about? I'm sure, most of y'all know that Aretha Franklin passed away this, this week. I was able catch a a um, new special on her life, and of course, they were talking about what a great singer she was, and kind of a pioneer in that regard. But man, so much of what was said about her really just had to do with how she poured into her community. How she gave and gave into her community in Detroit. And how she helped other singers in her path grow and, and, and excel. And how she was a blessing to women all over the world. It was all about, it was so focused on how she gave herself away. Why do we talk about that at the end? Because we intuitively know, friends, that that is what makes a life great. That's the value of a life. The value of a life is always measured by how much of it was given away. The value of a life is always measured by how much of it was given away. When at the funeral, you never hear someone stand up and just talk about how much they acquired, how that person acquired and consumed, just used stuff and used people and manipulated people. And (laughs) they don't talk about that. Why? Because we know. That's not what's valuable. That's not what's celebrated. You know, someone who gives their life away, that's when we say, that was a great woman. That was a great man. Which follows exactly what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10. When he says, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. Listen, if it's all about you, you won't be happy. If you want to be happier, you have to figure out a way to give yourself away. And I don't mean just twice a year with your work, you know, at the service project. Though I mean, do that. But you find a way to give yourself away in a systematic way. Weekly way. Serving regularly. Shameless plug. You're sitting on a way right now to do that. Okay? Again, this is not, this message is not all about just trying to get you to serve and yet serve here with us, but it's a great application. And so I don't want to miss that. And so we put together, we try to make it as easy as possible. Put, put it together in your seats as a way to sign up to serve with our church or, or serve our church inside the church or serve with our church in our community. And I would highly encourage you to apply this message for the glory of God and the blessing of others and for your own happiness by Signing up to serve. But hear, hear this. Um, just knowing this, just this message in itself, it's, it's not enough to get us to serve in a sustainable way. I might be able to talk you into checking a box today, but for you to continue to serve with perseverance your entire life, this isn't enough. It's true that this is our divine design and we'll be happier when we live this way, but we have this issue of sin that has this strong enslaving power to get us to turn inward focused. And and, in order for us to continue to serve and to serve with perseverance, we have to have something stronger than just the motivation even to be happy. (laughs) We have to have something strong enough to free us from sin, to set us to live out our divine design. Which is why I think Paul would just follow in Philippians 2, right after calling us to live for others. He would go straight into verses 6 through 8, talking about how Jesus did that for us. Here's what he says. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And guys, it's because Jesus chose not to live for himself, though he had every right every right, as God to do so. But instead, he became a servant to the point of even dying on the cross for us. It's because he did that that we can serve others. Now listen, I, need to, I want to be really clear. It's not because Jesus was our example that we go and do this. It's that because Jesus was our Savior, we can go and do this. Yes, absolutely, Jesus is a great example of living for others, but his example in and of itself is an example so great, it will crush us. We'll never live up to that. But because Jesus didn't die just to be our example, but our substitute, That when he died for us, he did not just defeat the the penalty of sin so we can be forgiven, but also the power of sin so we can be set free to live according to our divine design, according to how God has made us and created us to live. I love what Romans 6, 17 and 18 says. It says, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves of sin, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Jesus' death for us and our faith in him alone for our salvation results in being forgiven, set free from the penalty of sin, and set free from the power of sin. Now we're slaves to his righteousness. We have the power to live for others. And that will sustain you. And, as we've seen, it will make you happy. So, in faith that that's true, that Jesus has done, for that, done that for you and set you free and for his glory and the blessing of others and in the light of your divine design. Here's my, my challenge to you, friends, for your own happiness. you got to find a way to give your life away. you got to find a way to give your life away. We're going to end this morning's message by taking communion. Communion's in the front, communion's in the back. When we take communion, we are remembering that Jesus gave his life away in order for us to have life. We're remembering how he served us. But guys, we need to remember, again, not just as an example, but as our salvation and our substitute to free us to be able to do this. Because our God designed us to serve one another, but we have failed to do so. But instead of doing away with us, he came after us to serve us. Dying for us, his body broken, his blood spilled for us, that we can, we can live according to our divine design. So as you take communion this morning, may you remember that. May you rejoice in that. And may you ask God to give you the faith to believe that that is true. And then when you put it into practice, choosing to serve others with God, in by how he has served you, that you can be brought to be with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your truth, your word. Thank you that we're not left on our own to figure out how to be happy. Lord, and it just would make sense and common sense for us to think that happiness would come by living for ourselves, but God, thanks for your truth, that you would tell us that's not how it is, because that's not how you created us to live. May you make us more like you, Jesus, by setting us believing that you have set us free from sin and from selfishness, that we can live out according to our divine design. Lord, that you would receive glory, others would, others would be blessed, and we would be happy. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you that you did not hold on to all of your rights as God, but you emptied yourself. You died for us. You are servant to us. And because of that, God, we can be with you. And we can join you in serving. You're a great God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.